Yes, hello folks, welcome to the Global Football Show. I'm your host as always, Fog Bryant. Join with my regular co-host here, the magnificent Zach Louie, on this Halloween uh, 2022. How you doing, mate? Any ghosts visit you this summer? Is he, uh, this today yet? <laughs> no, I can't say that any ghosts have, but uh, yeah, happy Halloween to you, Phil. Um, How yeah. do you know? How do you know any ghosts haven't visited? I mean, they're visiting you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, whenever you uh, whenever you live with someone like me, as white as I am, uh, you can easily mistake me for a ghost. I've got uh, suntan like I live in a submarine. <laughs> um, how was your weekend, man? I was pretty good. Um, I I had a good time um, uh, watching a lot of the games, and yeah, yeah actually excited uh, because I'm recently joined an indoor football team uh so i'll be playing uh every week so really excited for that right, it's practice good. on wednesday um got yeah. scored a few and got a few assists but got collided into and my chest was messed up for a few days but i'm, I'm good now excited uh for to go back kind of got six rules <laughs> I scored six I know again against my kids on their name um, nah listen it's a brilliant way to keep in shape actually see the um, the monotony of the gym sometimes on a treadmill or a bike you know you get the same exercise in, in a football game where you're not focused on just running or just you know the terminably boring exercise so playing football it's just a great way to keep in shape, um, and I I would love an indoor team myself. I just can't find one. Um, but good for you. Last to talk about today, mate. Um, want to talk about of course Flamengo, uh, winning their second local couple in four years, third overall, I believe. Um, you're going to tell me if I said this wrong, so <laughs> please do. Uh, but of course, uh, Gabriel Barbosa. Uh, getting the goal and uh, on what was a monumental weekend for Brazil, electing Lula as Presidente instead of Jair Bolsonaro. Um, we will talk a little bit about another Brazilian who we kind of got in trouble for even mentioning him. is <laughs> Mr. Hendrik. Uh, as the Palmeiras fans did not appreciate that. Um, they think they would like to keep him on the wraps for a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about that. I want to ask you about Liverpool and what is going on with Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool ran 11k less than Leeds this weekend. That is absolutely staggering. Um, and a few other things we we will get to in this podcast, possibly not, but maybe we get a bit chance to talk about Arsenal and a few other things. So um, we will start, my friend, with the Copa Lib. So break it down for me. One uh, 0 Flamengo. Yeah, absolutely, Flamengo. Well, of course. Winning the Copa Libertadores in 2019 under George Jesus, that near-perfect year uh, that would see Jesus return to Benfica after a year. Um, Flamengo, of course, getting another Copa Libertadores final after uh, 2021 that saw Palmeiras won two in one year under Abel Ferreira. Yeah, getting a special one nothing victory against Atletico Paranaense. And it was the same who Atletico who had a man sent off um, right before halftime, mm-hmm. Atletico, who lost in 2005. So, you know, it was a big year, I think, for a, a big occasion uh, for Gabi Gol, who scored in 2019 uh, to lead Flamengo to the victory. Um, but it was a big occasion for a lot of other veteran players. You saw on Flamengo's side, uh, Philippe Luis playing at left back, um, and David Luis starting in central defense. I think Arturo Vidal coming off the bench as well. From Atletico's side, Fernandinho was obviously the big name, um, you know, playing in his third continental final. First one saw him uh, start in 2005 uh, with Atletico and lose, and he went to Shakhtar a few months later, of course, becoming a great player there and at Manchester City before returning to Atletico, and yeah, starting in this match, um, but yeah, Flamengo getting a much-deserved victory, and I think a, a victory that they needed to establish themselves as the top-ranking side in Brazil uh, against the Palmeiras side that has been so dominant under Abel Ferreira. 
Well, I think there's a couple of major backstories to this. Uh, one of them, of course, and, and forgive me if my research has been wrong on this, but Doraval, the uh, Flamengo coach, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer in 2019. He's a guy that's never played or coached outside of Brazil. He's 60 years of age. His son is his assistant. Um, this is an incredible story. Yeah, absolutely. Hats off to Doraval. For getting this, I think that you know, Flamengo, uh, they are a club that, with the fan base they have, with the history they have, they always have high expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you know, the the recent the success of George Jesus in such a short amount of time, it definitely raised the expectations for so many other managers um, that followed him. And I think that combined with really just the I would say fast-paced style of, in terms of sacking managers that we see in Brazil, um, you know, contributing in a lot of changes and a lot of people such as Paulo Sousa, Renato Gaucho, uh, Rogério Senni, and Dominic Torrent. That's four managers since George Jesus are taking charge before Dorival uh, on June 10th. So, been a fantastic start for him. 26 wins, seven draws, six losses. Um, Flamengo, you know, they have got it done and found, I think, a really good balance. In fact, they have not lost since uh, September. So only wins and draws since then. So fantastic stuff, as well as uh, winning against Corinthians in the Copa do Brasil final on penalties. Fantastic stuff for them. Uh, they will finish, probably, I think, they, they have finished uh, third in the table behind Palmeiras and Internacional. But I think that this is just what they needed to make that push for the Brasileirão in uh, 2023. So tell me about Gabigol, because as you quite rightly say, he went, to, he went to Europe when he was young. Didn't quite work out for him. Went back to Brazil, uh, scored the goal, of course, in the final. And he has been consistently very good. Uh, he's obviously much older, much more mature. Um, is it a shock to you that no other big clubs in Europe have come back in for him and, and really tried to get him? I don't think so. I Look, I look at Gabi, Gabigol's career. You know, I remember him coming through Santos's academy and being the top Brazilian star in uh, alongside Gabriel Jesus. Uh, Gabigol going to Inter, Gabriel Jesus, of course, going to Manchester City, having, having success there. Um, before going to Arsenal. Gabigol, on the other hand, moved to Inter, never really made an impression before uh, going to Benfica, also had a even worse time there, uh, before heading back to Brazil and relaunching his career at Santos, had a great loan there, and then moving to Flamengo and, and helping them to the Libertadores. Um, so look, the fact is there are some players who I think just have a tough time settling in uh, Europe and just want to return to Brazil. Mm -hmm. you know, they're just happier there. They feel more at liberty with the style of play as well as the environment. Um, and I think that Gabigol is probably one of those players. You know, there have been concerns uh, over his party lifestyle and uh, perhaps one of the reasons why he didn't work out at, at Benfica or Inter. Um, and a player who I think, well, you know, wants to be close by to his family. Santos uh, Rio de Janeiro, they, they aren't too f far away. So I think that Flamengo, you look at what they can offer, and I'm not sure there's there's a single South American team that can you know, offer what they have from Gabigol's perspective, as well as very few European teams who I think can provide that um, uh, allure as a player for a new challenge. So you, look, 26 years of, of age, Still has plenty of time left in his career if he wants to return. But the fact is, has, has also managed to play uh, for the Celeste. Mm -hmm. And, has, you know, I, I think has a decent shot of making the World Cup squad. We'll see what happens. But this is a fantastic game. You know, I, I think that he has been so important for Flamengo's consolidation of success in recent years. And uh, at the same time, I do think that. European teams, they're, they're perhaps more concerned about Gabigol off the pitch than on. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, 
me ask you about another young player uh, at uh, Flamengo, uh, Matheus Franca. Uh, am I saying that right? Yeah, so that's Matheus Franca. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about him because I've been reading quite a bit about him. A lot of European teams seem to be wanting him. He's a very, very exciting young midfielder from the looks of things. Tell me a little bit about him, Zach. Yeah, Matheus Franca, he is, I believe, 18 years of age. Um, and I do think that from what I've seen, he's, he's really technically gifted. He has um, strong dribbling and, uh, you know, is capable of getting past uh, opponents. I guess I think as well. A really is he a winger or is he a midfielder? What would you describe him as? I mean, in terms of what kind of player he is, you know, it's hard to say. I think that he's definitely more of a strong attacking player, like a, a winger, a player who's capable of, you know, cutting in. From what I've seen, I haven't seen too much of him, uh, I must say, but but yeah. Interesting. I want to evolve the conversation onto another Brazilian. Perhaps there's some um, warning signs in what we just uh, talked about with Gabriel Boboso with young Endrick, because um, he is a guy that uh, you and I talked about last week on Twitter, and we received a little bit of a <laughs> testy response from a few uh, Palmeiras fans. I, he's 16. Now, the prevailing view is that he's going to go to Real Madrid, that uh, Real Madrid wants him, and that uh, he's had conversations with uh, people at Real Madrid. Allegedly, his bio clause is around 60 million, from what I understand. Real Madrid don't want to pay that for him, but are happy to pay a bunch of add-ons and what have you. But 16, a lot can go wrong. I have seen 16-year-olds look absolutely sensational, head and shoulders above everyone else. And by 19, 20, that promise isn't quite the same. A lot changes between 16 and 20, physically, mentally, technically, uh, lots of things can happen. There's still a lot of variables. He is a bright young talent. His goal-scoring record at youth level is unbelievable. He's only played a couple of senior games, if I understand, uh, from Homerush. Uh, he's talked about in Brazil as the best talent since Neymar. But is there a risk that uh, one, he could go too soon and too overhyping? Listen, Phil, I know that the, probably the thing you hate the most is uh, hyping up these young players at 16 years of age. But honestly, I think that looking at what Endrick has been able to do at the youth level, as well as his few senior appearances for Palmeiras, you know, there's everything to believe that he's going to be the next breakout star in the Brasileirão. Um, and I expect him to remain. I think he has to remain at Palmeiras until he is 18 and eligible to uh, go to Europe. So at any rate, he's going to likely stay at Palmeiras uh, for the time being, for, for the next two years or so. Right at 16. Yeah, I can't wait till he's 18. Right, which is, I think, a good sign. Yeah, I do too. But with that being said, I think there's a great chance that Real Madrid sign Endrick. And, I mean, I think that one of the reasons uh, is Vinicius Junior. Okay? You look at what Real Madrid with Vinicius, right? They signed him in, um, I believe, 2019, when he was 16 years of age when he had just made a few uh, senior appearances for Flamengo and managed to tie him down, obviously had him staying for a few seasons before coming to Real Madrid and emerging into one of the deadliest players in world football and a starter for Brazil. That is pretty much the the upper echelon for any footballer, you know, what they can dream of. And he's going to, uh, you know, get to try that, try something really special by having the chance to start in a World Cup in Qatar. So that is where every footballer aims to be. And I think that Endrick does as well. So I think there's a lot of you know, reason to believe that Real Madrid uh, could be after him. I expect Palmeiras to hold out for closer to his 60 million euro uh, release clause. I don't think that 40 million is going to cut it, especially because they are not uh, in desperate need of money um they have that financial backing so you know i whatever deal occurs i would probably expect 
be a lot closer to uh, what Real Madrid paid for Vinicius. Um, but you look at Endrick, he is such a fascinating young talent, uh, so strong, uh, fast, and capable of just getting into these fantastic scoring positions. Um, and a player who is, is so exciting and deadly, running down the wing, breaking on the counterattack. He's just, for me, he has everything it takes to be the next Brazilian star. And I think that uh, after Rodrigo and Vinicius, um, either Militao, you know, you kind of see, we, we talked about this before, Phil, right? Uh, Real Madrid going for a strategy of signing mm-hmm. younger players. You look at their recent signings, uh, the players, shall we say, veterans, right? David Alaba. Yeah. Camavinga, Chiuamani, and David Alaba and Antonio Rudiger, both of them mm-hmm. arriving on free transfers. The mm-hmm. players that they paid money for, Aurelian Chouameni, mm-hmm. Eduardo Camavinga, Federico Valverde, Rodrigo, you know, so many South American talents. And I think that following that strategy is going to be a good, um, is definitely something that Real Madrid are, are trying to do under Florentino Perez. Yes. And another thing to, uh, to, to note is that uh, after Vinicius, uh, Eder Militao, and Rodrigo all got Spanish citizenship, Real Madrid, they have uh, three non-EU spots. So they, they are looking to sign players, and I expect them to make two of them, uh, Endrick and Jude Bellingham. Well, they got they got Militao from Porto. And I feel like, you know, you look at Rainier, for example. He's saying he gets loaned out to Dortmund. Hasn't really worked out for him. And I think I have a, I have a 15-year-old son that turns 16 in February. <laughs> and the maturation that needs to happen there is monumental. And I couldn't predict with any degree of confidence where he's going to be at 18. And we've sat here and talked about how important it was for people like Gabriel Barbosa to be close to his family, to be around people. And what I don't like about hyping kids is I can't imagine that type of pressure on someone like my son, where the world's biggest football clubs want you, where you're no longer given... Like, I think that... Anyway, I was just actually having this conversation with him this morning about how important it is to make mistakes between 15 and 20 and to not have them published all over the internet and to not have them... Like, when I was a kid, I got to make mistakes that would get me cancelled today because I was stupid. I was a kid and I had no world experience, no knowledge of anything. I didn't grow up with the internet. I was completely insulated in this tiny part of the world that didn't have any, any diversity. And then I got into the world and experienced things and it educated me. And Jesus, if I'd have been posting things on social media at 16, I'd never have recovered. I mean, the reductive in seeing things that I believed. And, and that's typical of a child. He is a child. And I'm looking at this and going, the hype is unfair. And we've seen this before. We saw this with Odegaard. We saw it with Holland. And, 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 but they're Europeans, right? I'm looking at someone like a kid. And he is a kid. Where's his room to make mistakes that he needs to make? If he goes to Real Madrid, probably the biggest football club in the world, the pressure, the focus on this kid is going to be unbelievable. And it's going to be, I I honestly feel like for him, go to Portugal first. Go to a Benfica. I know that it's going to be hard for him to afford him, but go to a Benfica, Porto, or Sporting, or someone like that. And, and, and learn your trade there first. Go play there for a couple of years. Then make the transition, like Militao did to Real Madrid, where you're allowed to make mistakes in Portugal you won't be allowed to make in Spain. You're allowed to have developmental issues that you'll have in Portugal you won't be allowed to make in Spain. And maybe it would have been better for Neymar to go that route too. I don't know. I just feel like... We have to remember he's 16 and I have a, my, my kid's 16 in February. It's like, I don't trust my kid getting a driving license because I don't trust him not looking at his phone while he's texting and driving. I, I mean, 
I'm petrified if I don't know where he is, if he's at some party, because I don't know the decisions that he's making because he makes so many bad decisions. This is a kid I can't trust to make his bed in the morning. And I'm looking at his peer going, he is under pressure that he has no idea how to handle. And I don't know if that's fair. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that Portugal would be a smarter move for Hendrik. But the reality is that, like I said, I think Palmeiras will demand at least... 50 million euros, probably close to his 60 million release clause, unless they can manage to renew it and uh, increase his release clause. We'll see what happens. But I don't think there's any chance that a Portuguese club is going to pay 40 million. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, for, uh, for Andrick. So we'll see what happens. I know that Paris Saint Germain are also in the running. And I think, you know, with Lionel Messi, unlikely to stay past. 2023. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Well, possibly I think that would be Miami. Smart, smart move for them. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll, we'll squeeze that into the show because that's a big deal. Him coming to enter Miami, of course, according to David Ornstein. Um, but yeah, and it, look, it's possible Real Madrid end up loaning him out to someone in Portugal uh, for for two years and let him develop there and then bring him back. Um, who knows? Uh, you know, I think when you look at his insane equivalent like Holland. And you look at how perfectly his career has been managed. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to go to Malde. Then we're going to go to Austria. Right? We're going to keep making these progressive steps. Then we're going to go to Germany. And all of these football clubs have a tremendous reputation for developing young players and giving young players a chance. Real Madrid, you know, getting to play for Real Madrid, you have to deliver on the spot. You don't get to make the mistakes that Holland made in Norway. In, in, in Austria, in Germany. Then he went to the Premier League, at the top league. And I just feel like that's a blueprint in many ways if you're someone surrounding Hendrik going, look, we don't have the luxury of going to a Portuguese club or someone like that, a developmental club first. So perhaps what we do is we go to a Real Madrid and say, okay, we're going to go there, but it's important he gets loaned out for a couple of years to another club. So he can go somewhere and be forgotten for a while, you know, because and take the 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 the, the insane expectation. It doesn't help that the kid's Brazilian, which is going to add to his hype. I just feel like um, people forget, you know, what it's like to be sixteen. Yeah. Absolutely, but remember, a lot can change in two years, and I think that Endrick is going to be a much more, you know, a much more polished player who's going to be ready for the transition at 18 years old. We'll see what happens. But uh, but if, if he keeps improving and playing at this rate, he's only played a few games at senior level. So it's, mm. it's insane how much we are talking about him uh, and shows you, you know, what how impressive he has been at Paul Manderson's academy. But uh, a player who needs time to develop and needs time to make mistakes and learn. And sure, not have that spotlight on him, but uh, he's going to have that at Palmeiras, a massive club, and uh, he's going to have to deal with that pressure. I expect him to be snapped up by one of uh, the biggest teams in Europe soon, though. He, for me, he's just that impressive of a talent. He's he's one of those players who really, uh, you know, gives you goosebumps watching. He's he's so exciting. Um, so, but we'll see what happens. I think Real Madrid and PSG are going to be competing for him. And uh, honestly, I, I would give Los Blancos a really good chance because that, that is what they have uh, really sought to you know, go after in terms of their transfer strategy, whether that's Eder Militao, Rodrigo, Vinicius, Federico Valverde, signing so many impressive South American youngsters. And uh, you know, Endrick is really the next big thing on the market right now uh and with you know all of their non-eu spots uh mm -hmm. freed up and with i think so much more uh, of their budget left of course after killian mbappe's move uh breaking down uh, the, the move to sign killian mbappe on a free transfer i mean they definitely want a player who's going to compete and try to lock down their spot right because you look at their wide options, Federico Valverde, uh, Vinicius, Rodrigo, okay, for sure. But apart from that, Marco Asensio, who ending his contract 
at the end of the season. Um, Mariano, same goes for Mariano and a lot of other players. So I think there's definitely a need for some fresh new attacking options. And I, I was and just reading, actually, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, that uh, Sensio has had a, retar- a, 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 a rethink and he's actually going to stay. And I was just, just right before we come on here. But you're, I agree that um, yeah. they need some attacking options. Um, and by the way, just a quick caveat. Did you see PSG's losses that they posted? And largely attributed to the Mbappe deal? I did not. 300 and something million. Wow. They shouldn't be allowed to do that, Zach. That's where um, FFP have to be a lot more rigid and, and tackle things like that. I, 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 that, to me, is insane. But anyway, um, I want to ask you about Liverpool FC because I watched them at the weekend and I was immediately reminded of an excerpt in an article in The Athletic about Jurgen Klopp's last season at Dortmund. Let me read this to you. Dortmund's fast-paced transition game had come to look stale, made worse by the fact that they often started slowly, conceded first in 10 out of those first 17 games, and then found themselves chasing the game against deep-sitting sides who had become wise for their pressing game and happily exceeded the ball in midfield. Uh, he, the charm was gone, uh, and Klopp seemed personally insulted by these uh, the ferociousness was coming out and all the charming quips were gone I'm sorry <laughs> but that is exactly what I see in Liverpool right now let me tell you something this is not easy for me to say as a Man United fan I liked Klopp when he first came I thought he was charming I thought he was a guy that was perfectly suited to Liverpool because his values were commensurate with largely what Liverpool values are. He was a good human being. He was someone that cared about others. He was someone that identified with the city. He was certainly someone that I was begrudgingly liking because I like to dislike Liverpool um, as a Manchester United fan. But I had to say this with good teeth. I also think he'd done a truly exceptional job competing with Pep Guardiola's Manchester City on a lesser budget. I mean, you have to remember where Liverpool were and where they'd been for 30 years prior to him coming there. He performed an exorcism on that football club, revitalised them, won, won, won a, a league, came within a whisker of winning two more, European Cups, European Cup finals. I mean, he has been unbelievable, right? But, Zach, I'm looking at him now and I'm going... This is starting to feel a bit like it's coming to an end, um, you know, because it's hard to see how he arrests this slide, because FSG aren't giving the money in the market to do it, and I'm 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 wondering how he does it with the personnel that he has, because I think that some of the problems that Liverpool have can't be fixed with the current personnel. Listen, I think there's actually a lot of similarities be made between uh, Tottenham's 2019 summer window, or 2020, perhaps I'm wrong, um, or no, 2018, uh, after the Champions League final, um, not sure what year, but when they really, you know, were approaching... It was 2018, the, yeah. Yeah, 2018, right, and they got yeah. just overall a summer transfer window that really left a lot of eyebrows raised. I think the failure to sign a midfielder is something, you know, apart from Arthur Mello, of course, who has not played for them, uh, or played a few times, and, you know, looks set to uh, miss the rest of the year due to injury. Um, you know, a player who, I hate to say it, but I think is going to be remembered as a Kim Kalstrom esque signing. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about him. God, I totally forgot about that saying. And God, remember that? Go uh, in January, you know, honestly, <laughs> I really wanted to get Aurelien Chouameni missed out on his signing due to uh, Real Madrid getting him, but uh, the failure to sign a plan B, I think, has definitely proven possible. Because whatever you think about the signing, Arthur Mello is not the same player, same type of player, anywhere close as. Aurelien Chouameni. I think it was just a panic deadline day signing. 
Uh, of course, Darwin Nunez, I think he's he's shown some bright spots, but overall he has definitely been a disappointment so far. He needs to improve in various aspects, but uh, I definitely think there's more to come from him. I think with Darwin Nunez, um, when I look at why Darwin Nunez is feeling, I would be concerned. Yeah. Because you can almost see a really good striker when things aren't going for them because they're technically sound, things are hitting the post, they're flying over the bar. You, you can see it's mental sometimes, right? And you think, look, it's just a matter of time. This, he's doing everything right, it'll come. But what worries me about Darwin Nunez is there definitely seems to be serious technical flaws in his game. And he gets chances. Like He, he should have scored against West Ham. He's, he had, had multiple chances. Or should have scored against Leeds. Uh, he had other chances again, other games that he that he didn't take uh, that were crucial for Liverpool. Um, and I'm looking at him going, hmm. I wonder, I, I, I look at the technical flaws in his game and I think England can be an unforgiving league if you've got flaws. Um, he may get you 10-12 goals a season, but he wasn't saying for 10-12 goals a season. I honestly, and I could be completely wrong on this, um, don't see Darwin Nunez ever being a 25-goal-a-season player. And when you're spending that type of money on him, that's what he needs to be. Um, I think out of all of the strikers that Liverpool have, he is the weakest. Yeah, and right now, I mean, there's reason to believe that, okay? I think that unlike Diogo Jota or Roberto Firmino, he does not have the same, uh, t you know, ability to keep the ball under pressure and overall technical ability. Um, you know, I think that that's one of the biggest things he needs to work on as well as, um, I think, just decision-making, right? We saw that 4v1 opportunity where he had... Three players to pass to ends up shooting and just, um, you know, completely wasting a fantastic opportunity. Overall, those things have cost Benfica, cost Benfica last season, uh, past two seasons with Darwin there, and something that definitely cost uh, Liverpool against Manchester City on on several occasions. So yeah, he definitely needs to improve. I think in terms of mental as well as technical aspects. You know, right. Um, keeping the ball under pressure, not making a clunky first touch. All of these things, they are somewhat concerning, but remember, he is 22 years old. He definitely is, is going to have time to improve these. Yeah, but Zach, to me, those are things you should have at 22 years old, right? I can understand maturation issues. I can understand lots of different things at 22. But at 22, your game should be technically fundamentally sound. And it's not to me with him. Um, and I'm looking at him and going, if I was defending Mark and him, where could he hurt me? If you leave him unmarked in the box, right, where, you know, something comes across the six-yard box, I look at his goals this season, they've been largely the same, right, being let, given space in the box, you know, and chances he should take. But if he's got his ball back to goal, I'm not worried about him, right? If he's got turned and faced and running at me, I'm not worried about him. So he's, he's limited to me on where he can hurt you. And I think if you're a top striker in this game, you have to have more about you. You have to be able to be the player. You have to be able to put players on the back foot. You have to be more than just a guy that's going to exploit spaces in the box because you don't get a lot of those. And to me, if I'm playing against Liverpool, I'm not concerned. I'm concerned about Salah. I'm concerned about Jota. Those are players that can hurt you no matter, because those are players that can beat you and put on the top corner no matter how good you are. But Darwin Nunez... I have to have an off game for him to hurt me. And I worry about him. Well, I don't say I worry about him, but if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be worried about him mentally. And because the pressure at Liverpool, especially given where they're at, is going to be intense. And I don't know. I, 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 I may put it like this. As a United fan, I'm relieved he did not sign for Manchester United, but I look at him. But as a football club, to be fair to Darwin Nunez, you know Trent Alexander-Arnold's been appalling, right? Uh, his weaknesses are being woefully exploited. You know, I look at someone like Diogo Dallo at the weekend. Who, if Trent Alexander-Arnold had put a performance like that in ever for Liverpool, defend getting forward, the English media, 
you know, we, 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 we lavish them with superlatives. I look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, again a player that can be easily exploited. You know, I look at their centre-backs, they're not pressing the way they once were. There's no intensity with their pressing. They make major individual errors. You know, the midfield looks old. Henderson, Thiago Alcantara, they're old. James Milner, old. That's a team, when you play that system, it's really, really physically intense. And you have to constantly refresh the squad with young players. I mean, you look at Guardiola, and I accept that they have the resources to do it, but they're constantly refreshing that squad. And I'm looking at Liverpool going, this is why I think that they have difficulties with their current personnel. Because Klopp is going to have to abandon his principles and the way he plays. And I don't see him doing that. And I just feel like there's a natural arc to this when it comes to that type of system. When you're at clubs like Dortmund and Liverpool that don't have the same resources as a Bayern or a Manchester City. Like I think Klopp could sustain that at those clubs. But I'm not sure he can sustain it at other clubs like Liverpool and Manchester City where, yes, Liverpool spend big money, but they spend it differently. Right? They'll buy one player. City, City can buy three or four players. And they'll pay exorbitant wages. I mean, you look at Holland's wages. City is the only football club in the Premier League that could pay that. You know, people talk about his 60 million fee, but that's just totally unfair because it costs so much more than that. Um, you know, Holland is not a 60 million pound player. So I think uh, I look at yeah. Liverpool and going, hmm, this has the feeling of it's coming to an end. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think that when you're a club like Liverpool or Dortmund in, back in 2015, when you have been through that gegenpressing system and have so many veteran players uh, you know, playing regular minutes, there's obviously going to take a toll um, in terms of your the level of performances due to fatigue, unless there's a, a good, you know, un- unless you are managing to phase out these veteran players and bring in new players. And when you look at players such as James Milner, Jordan Henderson playing regular minutes, I think that Liverpool have definitely suffered that, as well as others such as Fabinho and Virgil van Dijk playing as many minutes as, as Liverpool have the past few seasons and trying to operate in Klopp's system, that's going to take a toll on your performances. Um, so, yeah, there's no surprise. There, it, it's no surprise that there's been that drop. But I do think that Liverpool remain one of the favorites in the Champions League. It, this season is a throwaway, and we'll see what happens. I, I personally think that they should just acknowledge uh, the failures of the previous summer and just say, you know what, Klopp, we we go again in 2023. I think they, they that's what they should do. I, I honestly don't think that Klopp, sacking Klopp is the right uh, answer. No, there's no way they should sack Klopp. I mean, Klopp's yeah. the best thing that's happened to him in 30-odd years, and he's allowed a bad season. You know, he had one a couple of years ago too, but he's allowed a bad season. Um, yeah. But I think what will worry me, Zach, just to finish up on talking about Liverpool, yeah. when you beat Manchester City and then lose to Forest and Leeds, that's attitude. Because I saw this with United. United would beat, I remember United beat City and then lost to Sheffield United who were bottom of the league three days later. And when you play against weaker teams, if you don't match them physically, mentally, and intensity and everything else, you will lose. It doesn't matter how good you are. That's the only way you can lose against those teams because everything else being equal, ability will win you the game. But if you don't, if you go into those games with the wrong attitude, you're not professional. You will lose those games. And those games show you up if you're lacking in the intangibles, if you're lacking in the things that don't make stat sheets. Those are the games you'll see it in. You won't see it against Manchester City. You won't see it against those teams where they're desperate to win, where they're up for it, where everyone will you know, come out and give you 100% and play for the crowd and everything else. You see it in the other games. And that, again, is why I feel like Liverpool have serious problems. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, that's a professionalism issue. When you lose the Leeds and lose the man, uh, and, and Forest, I mean Forest just got beat five 0 by by Arsenal. No such professional issues. And Liverpool went there, lost, shouldn't have lost, but they did. Um, you know, and I thought they were wide open against Leeds. Leeds deservedly beat them. Uh, and I'm going, that's professionalism. And that does that suggest that the players are not responding to club in the same way they once did? 
I think I I wouldn't say it's about responding. I think it's more shall we say about players being tired and and just unable to produce what what they were producing at you know the past few years, um, and as well as father time taking its toll on so many veteran players. But uh, I I think that. Overall, Liverpool, if they are serious about turning this league season around, they definitely need to invest in January in getting a top-tier midfielder. The fact that Klopp has had to uh, refrain from the 4-3-3 that he's used pretty much throughout his Liverpool spell, Liverpool spell, and go with uh, 4-4-2. We saw four, mm-hmm. um, 4-4-2 diamond being used recently as well, um, trying all these new form um, formations. Uh, I think that that says a lot about his midfield options right now. And apart from Thiago Alcantara, yeah, his midfield options are just so limited um, that I definitely think uh, they need to invest soon. I'm not sure about the January window because Liverpool don't typically like to make those signings midway through a campaign. Um, You know, they're, Every chance they wait for their options. But uh, I wanted to touch up on the transfer window I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. 2018 for Tottenham. Uh, after finishing third uh, under Mauricio Pochettino, here's what Tottenham did in the transfer window. Didn't sign a single player. Uh, okay? Not a single signing. Oliver, Oliver Skip coming from the U21 side. Um, but departures, Musa Dembele had left in January, and uh, Josh Onoma and mm-hmm. Cameron Carter-Vickers being loaned out. So I think there is definitely a lot of similarities, although uh, Tottenham, of course, they managed to uh, end up getting top four under Pochettino as well as reaching the Champions League final. Here, There is similarities, but here's the thing. Yeah. Liverpool and Spurs are aiming for different targets. Cruising altitude for Spurs is top four. So if there's if they feel like, you know what, we have a squad good enough to finish top four, we're not investing to try to catch Manchester City because I don't think they, they I don't believe they believe they can. And so they will strengthen their squad accordingly. And there's maybe no sense of urgency for them to go out and spend big when they're getting the Champions League final and finishing the top four. They feel like, you know what, our squad's good enough. Because to me, they're always looking to do the bare minimum. How much do we need to do? And we're not spending a penny more. And this is part of the reason why Conte didn't want to go there in the in, you know a year before he did. Because he didn't feel confident enough that Spurs were going to give him the resources to be successful. And whether they had to fundamentally change as a football club and their target had to fundamentally change, I don't believe Spurs believe. They'll, they'll, they'll catch City or the top teams to win the league. I don't know if that's even their intent. This is one of the curses of top four. Is that what owners who judge success based on profit and loss, not win-loss, see top four as a trophy. And then for some... I mean, think about it from an owner's perspective, right? Imagine you walk in you say, tell you what, I need three, 250 million to catch Man City. Okay, 250 million catch Man City. If we actually did catch Man City, we get another 10 million for winning the league. Why would I do that? You know, because they're going to look at that from a different metric than what a fan would. They're going to look at that and say, well, what's the return on my money if I give you 250 million? I get an extra 10 million prize money for winning. You know, David Gill, I remember David Gill when he was Manchester United, chief executive, having this exact same conversation. Even Martin Edwards going, sometimes the best place to finish financially is second. Because we don't have to spend to finish first. Real Madrid spend to finish first, you know. And so I, I, I look at clubs like Spurs. I haven't won the league since what '61 under Bill Nicholson. Um, I don't know if they're spending to win the league. I don't know if they're even trying. I think that's a team that's saying, and this is of course why they lose their best players, why they lose managers. Is this is a football club where cruising altitude is top four? My friend, let's evolve this conversation over to Mr. Lionel Messi before we go. Because uh, according to David Ornstein, Lionel Messi is close to agreeing a deal to come to Inter Miami. Um, 
What I didn't catch in that article, because I just read it right before we come on here, is when. I thought I read end of next season. Is that correct? Um, I do not have a subscription to The Athletic, Phil. I'm sorry. All right, let me pull that up. But nonetheless, um, not a massive surprise that he would come to Inter um, Miami. Inter Miami, of course, are you know, shocking on the field, really poor. But uh, so they're saying here, Inter Miami increasingly confident of saying Lionel Messi not fully agreed, not expected. Now I expect 35-year-old to join and hope it gets done in a couple of months. Talk to resume after the World Cup. I don't have a subscription to The Athletic either. Um, but I think there's a way to get a be able to read this for some reason i don't have a subscription to athletic but for some reason i can always read their articles and i don't know why um so he's no more conversation to anticipate until the world cup finishes and probably and most probably early 2023 at which point messi can put pen to paper in a pre-contract agreement so that would mean 2024 so uh two years from now that would make messi what 35 coming 36 He's still a sound investment when you look at Ronaldo with 37, 38, still playing high-level football. Yeah, honestly, I hope this is not true. No disrespect to MLS or Inter-Miami, but the fact is, Lionel Messi, after a disappointing first season at Paris Saint-Germain, he is showing the world why he is, he is still one of the best players in world football, just lighting it up in Ligue 1 and the Champions League, forming a fantastic trident with Neymar and Kylian Mbappe. I don't see why he would want to make that step down uh, when Paris Saint-Germain are doing everything they can to renew his contract. Uh, the fact is, you know, Messi, he is um, 35, if I'm not mistaken, so he's getting up there in age. No, I think he's only 33. I thought he um, was... Let me see. Let me pull it up here. Go ahead. Are you sure about that? I thought, I thought he was only 33. No, no, no. He is 35. He turns 36 on June 24th. Jeez, I thought he was younger than that. Go ahead. So, okay. Fair enough. Like, maybe he feels like he uh, has accomplished all he did. He is one thing and wants to move uh, to be closer to his family in Argentina. You know, fair enough. But, um, I don't know. I, I really think that he's building something special at Paris Saint-Germain. And I do think that it would be a disappointment if he ended his time there without a Champions League. So here's we'll see a, what happens. Here's the thing, Zach. He'd be 37 when that happens. And one of the most painful things to watch, I'm a big fan of boxing, is watching fighters that fight too long. Because as their reflexes start to fade, as things start to happen, they start to lose and to people they'd never have lost to in their prime. And it gets a bit painful. I'll never forget Muhammad Ali and Larry Holmes. Um never should have been allowed to take that fight. Exploited by people um, and was already punchy by that stage. I look at the, the enigmony of Cristiano Ronaldo and what he's going through right now. Do we want to see Messi at 37 sitting on PSG's bench or going through that when, you know, Ronaldo, if he was playing in the US and the MLS, wouldn't be going through this. He'd be playing. Ibrahimovic came here around about the same age. Done exceptionally well. I went back to Italy and still managed to play at the top level for Milan. I just feel like there's a natural cycle to a player's career. And at 37, can you really expect to be starting for some of the biggest clubs in the world with ambition to win the biggest trophies in the world? I'm not sure. I think it really depends on the performances. I think that with regards to Ronaldo fact is he has been really anonymous and disappointing in, in so many games uh, for Manchester United. You know, he has gotten opportunities under mm -hmm. Eric Van Hogg, and when you watch him play, he just looks like another player. Um, but yeah, he with, looks regards to Messi, with regards to Messi, though, he's only, I think, two years uh, younger than Ronaldo, and right now mm -hmm. he is playing some of his best football in quite some time. So we'll see what happens. So I think Ronaldo at 35. I mean, Ronaldo was a Juve yeah, State goal no, scorer at 35. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. It just, I don't want to see, and this happens to everyone. I think as well that he'll want to uh, play in Argentina before he retires. 
It's interesting because the Argentinians never really took to him in the way they did with Tevez yeah. or Maradona. You know, obviously Messi left Rosario when he was young and 11 years of age. They almost feel like he's half Argentine and he hasn't, of course, won a World Cup or anything that uh, anoints them. Um, sort of got an interesting relationship with his homeland, hasn't he? Because they, the Argentinians, I mean, they worship Maradona. It's not hard to see why. I know people like Tevez and what have you that they feel has a heart of an Argentinian, but I'm not sure they feel that way about Messi. Maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong on that, Zach? No, you're not wrong. I do think that the fact that Maradona came through Argentina uh, and, you know, had to make it with Boca Juniors, you know, and really showed his, his skill as a kind of working class hero, more than just a footballer, but a working class hero, and, of course, delivering the ultimate glory with the World Cup. Yeah, it made it so that Maradona had something that was practically impossible for Messi to ever reach, especially the fact that he never played. Uh, he, he did not play any club football at Argent- in Argentina. And, you know, maybe there was that feeling that, oh, he'll never be as good as him because he's failed to bring home the World Cup. But we'll see what happens. He's got one last chance in Qatar. And uh, it's going to be absolutely spectacular. Coming up, we will start looking at the World Cup probably in about a week or two. And we'll start taking a look at uh, what to expect in the World Cup coming up. Of course, we're, we're not that far away from it. So we will see. Uh, Zachy, we'll go ahead and leave it there, my friend. As always, thank you. Don't forget to give this guy a follow at BTL or at Zach Louie. Uh, Encyclopedia of Football. Uh, Polyglot. Uh, fantastic information there for all, a lot of the stuff I've said is so many times the podcast, but I mean it for stuff that doesn't make mainstream headlines that is really for gearheads, and I absolutely love it because I always feel like I learn something. Yeah, the thing about the top guys is they're so stuck, coverage is so saturated, it's really difficult to find a fresh narrative or something that's interesting. The, the players that are below the surface that don't get the same headlines, um, every time I read articles on your website, I feel like I learn something. That, uh, you've uh, Tremendous amalgamation of some fantastic writers there. So give this guy a check. Check it out. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week, my friend. Happy Halloween. Thank you so much, Phil. It was an absolute pleasure as usual. Thanks, brother. Take it easy, Zach.